So we're continuing in Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, in our Following the King series. That's like our big series, Sermon on the Mount, our little sub-series. And we're going to be reading verses 7 through 12 for the morning. So why don't we just do that first? This is Jesus continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or what person is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will not give him a snake? He will not give him a snake, will he? So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, Treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. So the first four verses of this section are further instructions on how to pray from Jesus. If you remember back in chapter six, Jesus told his disciples, pray in this way. He teaches them how to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and so on and so forth. And so this is Jesus giving further instructions to his disciples on how to pray. And what he is sharing about here is vital, was vital for them to know how to pray well, and it's vital for us to know how to pray well. But I'm sure that this passage on prayer and just the topic of prayer itself would cause different kinds of feelings in the room for different people. So for some of you, you might be bored already, like my prayer life's already great, this is gonna be boring, or maybe you're so passionate about prayer that you're excited about my message, you know, yin yang there. For some of you, there might be some shame you're dealing with because you're like, yeah, my prayer life is not what it should be. I put my hand up for that. And then for others of you, this passage might actually cause you some pain because Jesus seems to be saying here, if you ask, it's gonna be given to you. Well, maybe you've asked for things. Maybe you've asked for things over and over and over again and you haven't received. And so there's some pain attached to this. Wherever you are, what I feel like God is gonna do this morning is this, one, at least what I hope happens. One, that we would all be reignited for persevering and persisting in prayer. Because prayer is not something that we do, like, it's not just like a discipline that we do or a commandment that we follow and then God's gonna do whatever he wants in the world and our prayers don't mean anything. Like our prayers are actually powerful and effective to impact this planet. And there are things that will not happen if we don't pray. There are things that will not happen if we don't pray. So prayer is a big deal. It's not just, like I said, it's not just like God's gonna do whatever the heck he wants whether, regardless of how we pray. That's not the worldview that we get from the scriptures. So prayer is super important. So God's gonna reignite passion in our hearts for prayer, but I also think God is gonna clarify some difficulties that we may have or some stumbling blocks that may be keeping us from fully diving in heart and mind into a life of prayer. So let's get into it. 
Prayer. As I've alluded to already, if we aren't intentional, a passage like this can skew our perspective of prayer. Because this passage is all about us bringing requests to God and God accomplishing those requests on the earth. But prayer is a lot bigger than just us bringing our Christmas wish list to God. Like prayer is first and foremost about relationship with God. And that's actually my first point. They're not gonna be up there today. Prayer is first and foremost about relationship with God. And Jesus demonstrated this in his life. There are like 20-ish recorded times where, it, where the gospel writers specifically note that Jesus slipped away to pray. And the implication and the, what we're supposed to understand from that is not that he was going and bringing a bunch of prayer requests to the Father necessarily, but more so it was a time of intimacy and relationship between the two. It was where Jesus' soul was restored. It was where they connected. And I love in Luke chapter five, verse 16, Luke writes, Jesus would often slip away to pray. And so right there, we see that this was a normal thing for Jesus. Love this quote from Paul Miller. Prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. So if your mindset about prayer has been more like, it's me telling God what I want him to do, that's part of prayer. But ultimately, prayer is the medium through which we experience and connect to God. So if the heart of our prayer life becomes primarily about what we want God to do, then we need a recalibration. But Jesus does here in Matthew 7 teach us a strategy for how to see results from prayer, from our prayers, how to make our prayers more effective. So let's keep the main thing, the main thing, prayer is about intimacy with God, but now let's talk about how can we, when we do pray for things to happen on the earth, how can we become more effective in that? Jesus gives us a strategy here, and that strategy is persistence. Kingdom prayer is persistent prayer. It's prayer that doesn't give up. It's prayer that keeps praying even when it doesn't see the thing that's happened. Happen. Prayer is persistence. So, let's dive further into what that means. Let's read the verses seven, seven through nine again. Jesus, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Jesus promises results for those who pray persistently. And if we explore this text even more, what we find is that Jesus is using the present tense verb when he says, ask, search, and knock. And so what, if we wanna read this more how the original hearers would have heard it, it would sound something like this. If you keep on asking, it will be given to you. If you keep on searching, you will find. If you keep on knocking, the door will be open to you. What does that show us? Persistence. 
And also Jesus, the words that he's using to describe like how we approach God, they're increasing in intensity. Search is more intense than ask and knock is more intense than search. And, and so we see that this like persist and, and the longer that it takes for the result of your prayer to happen, pray even harder, pray even more fiercely, pray even more passionately. This is what Jesus is getting at in Luke 18. He tells this really funny kind of parable where he's like, there was this judge and he didn't care what God thought and he didn't care what people thought. And this widow was trying to appeal to him for justice, but this judge kept saying no and no and no. And finally the judge relented and granted the widow justice because of how annoyed that he was at how persistently she was nagging him about the things she wanted to happen. And then Jesus is like, I want you all to pray like that. Now, is he saying that God is this like unrighteous, unjust judge? No, his point is if, if a widow can get like an evil, corrupt human being to do something through persistence, how much easier is it for us to see our prayers effective and fruitful with a good God like the one that we have? So persistence in prayers is so important. But prayers are not always answered. Or put another way, we don't always see what we pray for come to fruition. And now there are stories of people who pray for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Once they get to year 41, that's the year where something finally happens. But then we have stories also where people prayed for something to happen their whole lives and it never happened. And so I think that we need to explore that a little bit more. It's not as simple as a formula for prayer that says, if you persist long enough, you will always get what you want. You will always see what you're praying for happen. It's not that simple. And of course, sometimes the reason our prayers don't come to fruition is that we're asking for the wrong thing. I mean, in James chapter four, James says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So some of you guys out there have been praying for Bugatti, like keep going, but if you don't have the right motives, then that kind of tells you what the answer to your prayer is gonna be from the get-go. A Bugatti is a car, everyone, in case you didn't know. <laughs> I felt like, <laughs> didn't know, yeah. Okay, so, so sometimes we're just asking for the wrong thing or we're asking for something that, that is superfluous, that's not uh, relevant to our relationship with God or the kingdom of God. And that's not to say that God won't just give us stuff that we love and that's it. He will because he absolutely loves us, but sometimes he won't. That's not the kind of prayer that he promises to deliver on. But also, prayers aren't answered sometimes because we think we're asking God for a fish, but we're asking God, we're actually asking God for a snake. And what, like we read here, Jesus says, how many of you, if your child asks for a loaf of bread, would give a snake? Well, by the same logic, if we're 
thinking we're asking for a loaf of bread, but we're actually asking for a snake. We're actually asking for something that is going to harm us. God, in his mercy, is not going to give us that thing. He's going to stop that prayer from being fruitful and stop that prayer from happening. But that only explains part of it because sometimes it's, there's just, it's just undeniable in the world. Sometimes, regardless of the level of our persistence of prayer and the goodness of the prayer and the innocence of the prayer that we're asking for, sometimes we don't see the prayers we pray happen. I mean, I can share, I can share several examples. The one that was fresh on my mind was years ago, a friend of mine, a couple was going through a miscarriage and we prayed persistently every single day that that baby would come back to life and it didn't happen. And so I know many of you probably have a similar experience where you persisted or you know someone who did where they persisted in prayer as long as they could, but the thing they were praying for didn't happen. And so we have to ask the question then, why? Was it because we actually weren't persistent enough? Like maybe instead of praying once a day, we should have been praying three times a day or 10 times a day. Or was it because the thing we were praying for wasn't actually good? Like maybe, or it wasn't in the will of God. Maybe it actually wasn't God's will that that this, that this baby would come back to life. And now, obviously, that contradicts what we see about the goodness of God here. I mean, Jesus just said that he's not gonna, you know, if, if human parents wouldn't give a snake for a fish, then how much less would God do that? The point we're supposed to take from that is that God is good. He's not going to inflict evil upon us. It's not his will that we would experience evil. And of course, there's way more theological conversation to have there but where I've come is, the place I've come to is that the goodness of God means he's not wanting kids to die. That's where I've arrived personally. And there's, again, there's way more theology we can talk about with that, but that's where I am. And so was it that we weren't persistent enough or was it that it wasn't in the will of God? And, and these, these this, this problem, I guess, this this the reality of the fact that people persistently pray for things that don't happen sometimes, it tends to create two extreme kinds of theologies. So the first one I've already alluded to is that, well, it's because it doesn't matter exactly how we pray. It doesn't really matter what we pray or what we don't pray. God has his plan for the universe that was ordained before you were even born. And prayer is really just you obeying God. But regardless of whether you prayed or not, he was going to do exactly what he wanted to do. And whatever happens, no matter how evil it seems, it was a part of the plan and will of God because he's bringing some greater purpose about through it. This would be more of a reformed view of, of sovereignty and how God approaches prayers. But then you have the opposite extreme that says, if you don't see the results you are asking for, there was some problem on the human end. Either the person praying wasn't praying rightly. Maybe they were persistent, but maybe they had some unrepented sin in their heart. And because of that unrepented sin, their prayer didn't happen. Or the person who was receiving prayer, maybe they didn't receive the prayer 
that was being prayed for them so it didn't happen. Or maybe they thought they were receiving the prayer, but they, they had some deep down unconfessed sin from 20 years ago that was stopping them from experiencing the results of their prayer. So on one side, it's all on the human beings. It's all, the reason the prayer doesn't happen is because humans screwed it up somehow. On the other extreme, it's, it was all the sovereign plan of God. Regardless of how we prayed, what happened was gonna happen anyway. I wanna propose to you, I don't think we need to go to either of these extremes. I think Jesus gives us a theological paradigm that makes sense of when, you know, it makes sense of this verse that we read and it makes sense of the times where we pray and we don't see happen what we were asking for. And that theological paradigm is actually the context of the verse that we just read. It's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the context for this passage. Why? Because the whole Sermon on the Mount itself, Matthew chapter five through seven, is all about the ethic of the kingdom of God, how kingdom people think and live and operate. And for that matter, the, the, all the four gospels, the primary message of the four gospels is the kingdom of God. If you don't believe me, I, I've shared this before, but I'll share it afresh just in case. In the gospels, the word gospel is used by Jesus 16 times. The word righteous or righteousness is used 40 times. Those would be, and the reason I'm sharing that with you is that those two topics would be ones that we would think would definitely be like the main theme of the gospels. At least that's how a lot of people think that, oh yeah, the gospels are all about the gospel, right? Just sounds obvious, right? The gospels are about the gospel. Well, they are. And they are about righteousness and righteous, and they are about sin, and they are about repentance. But the word kingdom is mentioned by Jesus more in the four gospels than the word gospel, righteous, righteousness, sin, repent, or repentance combined. The word kingdom is mentioned 124 times in the four gospels. So I wanna propose to you that I think Jesus found it important that we understand the kingdom. I think it's important that we understand the kingdom. And in fact, the kingdom, it was actually the world view that Jesus was training his disciples to have. It was the way he wanted them to see the world. What's a worldview? A worldview is the lens that we wear that interprets the experiences that we have. And so what Jesus was wanting was his disciples to have a kingdom worldview and use that kingdom worldview to interpret their experiences and interpret the life that they lived. And when we don't have a kingdom worldview, what happens is we get into weird theologies like a reformed view of God's sovereignty, which is more, honestly, it's more like philosophical determinism than it even is a biblical idea of sovereignty, but that's another message. So. Um, we either get into like a weird thing where God's in control of every single thing. Like you stub your toe when you leave church today, God, because God ordained it, you know, or we get to the extreme of, well, it's all on human beings. And 
If you had one sin from 17 years ago where you didn't compliment the server that served you, that you didn't repent of that sin, then that's probably why this thing didn't happen 17 years later that you prayed for. So those are extreme examples. But the point is, we, people get into that level of extremeness in their thinking when the kingdom is not in its proper place as our worldview. So let me, let's dive a little bit into the kingdom and then let's take what we talk about with the kingdom and apply it back to this passage on persistence of, of prayer. So in case you, well, what do you think the definition of the kingdom of God is? I know you, if you've been in church, maybe some of you, it's a new term, but a lot of you have probably been in church for a long time and maybe you've heard us define it here, but maybe you weren't at that message previously and so you've heard this term kingdom a lot, but you're not exactly sure how you would define it. Well, the kingdom of God defined is this, the rule and reign of God on the earth. It's God kinging, if you will. It's like the kingdom is like the act of God asserting his kingly, his kingly kingness <laughs> on this planet, okay? So his kingdom is where he is kinging. Is that, are you with me? His kingdom is where he's king. It's where his rule, it's the rule and reign of God. It's where his will is being done. And we know from Matthew chapter six that God's will is that the reality of heaven would be the reality of earth. So we know that the will of God is that what's happening in heaven would happen on earth. That's what on earth as it is in heaven means. So God's will is that what's happening in heaven would happen on earth, and that what isn't happening in heaven would not happen on earth. You know, there's no unforgiveness in heaven. No one is holding a grudge. So what does that tell us? That tells us it's God's will that there will be no unforgiveness and no one holding a grudge here on earth. That's what it means that, that's what on earth as in heaven would look like. And so you could go through a ton of different examples of that. So the kingdom is when heaven collides with this world and the reality of heaven becomes a reality of earth. Also, the kingdom is already and not yet. Yes, I know that's a contradiction. And I know it feels like it's a little bit out in left field, but this is actually the point that makes all, really brings clarity to the question I was talking about earlier. The kingdom of God is both already and not yet simultaneously. The kingdom of God's a paradox, similar to Jesus being 100% man and 100% God. How can you be 100% man and 100% God? That's impossible. If you're 100% one thing, that means you are 0% every other thing. Well, not for God. You know, how can you be three persons in one? You can't, if you're three, you're not one. If you're one, you're not three. I learned that in like either first or second grade, I think. Well, that's the reality of our faith. That's why it's called a faith because there are certain, there's so much of it that makes so much logical, rational sense, but there's certain parts of it where we just gotta accept it on faith that it's true, even though it doesn't logically um, work itself out. Same thing with the kingdom. The kingdom is both already here on the earth and it's not yet, and it's coming. The kingdom is here, it has come, and the kingdom will come. So we see this in Mark 10, 30. 
We're just going to read a little portion of Jesus' words here. So this is Jesus talking about those who have sacrificed for the gospel. But that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Everyone say, now in the present age. But that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions. And in the age to come, everyone say the age to come. And in the age to come, eternal life. So what's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about how there are two ages. There is this current age we live in and there is the age to come. And guess what? The kingdom is in both ages. The kingdom is in this age. The kingdom has come, but the kingdom is also on its way. It will come in the age to come. Further, Luke 22, 29 through 30, here's a verse that clearly shows that the kingdom will come in the future. Jesus talking to his disciples, and just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So clearly, Jesus here is talking about a future day where the 12 apostles would reign in with rule and reign with him in the future kingdom, rule, yeah, ruling and, and reigning and, and judging the 12 tribes. So we see here the kingdom is something that is not here right now that is coming. But Luke 17, verse 20 through 21, is another perspective. Let's read it. Once Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming, and he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. And I could read a ton of other verses that show this point, but what's the point I'm making? Jesus, the way he taught the kingdom should lead us to two conclusions. One, it has come on the earth. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. It has come. Two, it will come. There'll be a day when there'll be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, because the kingdom will have come. So it's a paradox. The kingdom is already here, the kingdom has come, and the kingdom is not yet. Now, what does this mean, practically? So the kingdom is here. God's will is being done on the earth. We can look around the world and see tons of places where God's will is being done. And I want you to imagine that, just using a metaphor, wherever it is, let's say wherever it is raining on the earth, that's where God's kingdom is, is right now, okay? So imagine the globe and a bunch of different places all throughout the planet, there's rain. Let that symbolize to you what it looks like for the kingdom to be here. The kingdom is here you know, in tons of different pockets in Cincinnati and in Memphis, Tennessee and in Norway and in China and, and all over the world, there's pockets of kingdom, okay? But then there are places where God's will is not being done. Sex slavery is not God's will. Poverty is not God's will. Disease is not God's will. People being demonized and possessed by demons is not God's will. People being unsaved is not God's will. So there are all these pockets of places around the world where his will is not being done. But 
over top of those, using the rain metaphor, over top of those places where his will is not currently being done, I want you to imagine the densest, most like pregnant to rain, rain cloud you can possibly imagine. That's what it's like that the kingdom is here. That his will is being done all over the earth and where it's not being done, the kingdom is pregnant, ready to break in and address that, whatever the situation is. That's the visual that we're supposed to get for the kingdom. Hope that makes sense. Also, the kingdom is like, another way to really understand the already and the not yet is to use a historical example. Many of you have heard this before, but I'm gonna share it again from World War II, D-Day and V-E Day. So, if you talk to any World War II historian, it is unanimously agreed upon that the functional victory for the Allied forces over Hitler and the Axis forces happened on D-Day when the Allied forces stormed the, beach, the beaches of Normandy and took back a foothold in Europe. That was the victory. That is when the decisive blow was dealt. That's when the war was effectively over. But it wasn't until almost a year later that we had VE Day, which is when Hitler's forces surrendered. So do you see there's like this, there's like this moment where the victory was won, but then there was a later moment where the victory was like completed. And did you know that between D-Day and VE Day, more soldiers died than any other part of the war? We live right now between D-Day and V-E Day. What was D-Day? D-Day was Jesus defeating the powers and principalities and Satan on the cross and taking back all authority in heaven and on earth. That was D-Day. What's V-E Day? That's the return of Christ. When he's gonna come and the kingdom is going to consume the whole earth. We live in this in-between time where the decisive victory has been dealt but there are still enemy forces to dispel from this earth. We live in a time where God's will, his kingdom is being done and being advanced every day, but the kingdom of darkness is still present and the kingdom of darkness, his will is still done sometimes. You know what? The kingdom of darkness sometimes win battles. They're not gonna win the war, just like the Nazi forces still won some battles as the allies marched from the beaches of Normandy to Berlin. The enemy is going to win some battles, but the enemy is going to lose the war. So we live in the in-between time. That's what it means that the kingdom is already and not yet. And a third analogy to help us understand the already not yet is one Jesus used, the mustard seed. If you know the parable, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And a mustard seed, in case you don't know, it was the smallest seed that could have even been talked about. 2,000 years ago. So like Jesus is using the smallest possible seed to make his point here. The kingdom's like a mustard seed. You put it in the soil, you don't see it, and you don't see anything happen for a while. But eventually, oh, oh, there's a stem poking through, and then that tiny seed grows into the biggest tree around, the biggest plant around that provides shade for all the animals and blah, blah, blah. You know the story. So the kingdom of God is also like a mustard seed where we pursue the kingdom, 
in faith and maybe we don't see anything happen for a while. That's why we persist in prayer because sometimes the reason we're not seeing anything isn't because nothing's happening, but it's just because the stem has not broken through the soil yet. So these are, this is all what it looks like that the kingdom of God is already and not yet. And Derek Morphew, a, theolo- a vineyard theologian, he articulates this already not yet-ness so well. I want to show you a little bit about what he says, which is why we have the whiteboard up here. So... Again, we know the kingdom is already. And not yet. And he breaks it down even into four more categories. So the kingdom is already, meaning the kingdom has come. So this would be D-Day. But also, the kingdom is coming imminently. So this would be the rain cloud, right? It's coming imminently. It's, the rain hasn't started yet, but you look up at that cloud. It is so dense. It's look like it's going to pour, downpour any second, Okay. So the kingdom has come. The kingdom, this is four ways the kingdom comes, okay? The the kingdom has come. The kingdom is coming imminently. I'm going to number these. One. Three. The kingdom is delayed. And then four. The kingdom will come. Four truths about the kingdom. The kingdom has come. The king, this would be D-Day. The kingdom is coming imminently. The pregnant rain cloud about to downpour. Any second, the kingdom's gonna break out. The kingdom is delayed. This would be mustard seed. So the kingdom has come, but we're not seeing any results of it yet. It's delayed. It's, it's, there's something gradual happening here. And then the kingdom will come. It'll come when Jesus returns. It'll come at VE Day. Kingdom has come, is coming imminently, delayed, and will come. This is Jesus taught on all four of these things. This was the mindset that he wanted his disciples to have about his kingdom. So what's the point of all of this? Because of this nature of the kingdom of God on the earth, we don't always see the will of God happen immediately. We don't always see it happen imminently. Sometimes it's delayed. But also, there are times that we don't see the will of God happen until the next stage. There are some, so let's, let's, let's relate this to prayer. There are some things that we pray for that like, it's like a, it's a rain cloud about to downpour. We pray, Holy Spirit come, boom, the downpour happens. There are some things that we pray that are delayed where we pray and we don't see anything happen. Well, keep praying. And we keep praying and we keep praying and we keep praying and up that stem comes through the soil and we keep praying and we keep praying and we keep praying and eventually we have the huge mustard tree uh, kingdom has come, right? 
And then four, there are some things that we'll pray for that won't happen until Jesus comes back, until the next age, until heaven. And, we, and unfortunately, we don't get to know whether we're praying for something that's gonna happen imminently or is gonna be delayed or is gonna come not until the next age. But we persist in prayer anyways. Why? Because the kingdom of God is like a rain cloud above any problem that we're praying for. It could downpour any second. This is why I think Jesus really emphasized persistence in prayer with his disciples because he knew that they were gonna pray for things and not see them happen. And he wanted to train them that, hey, it's okay if you don't see it happen. Keep praying. Be persistent in your prayer. Be like that widow who would not let that judge rest, that unrighteous judge rest. Ask, keep on asking, keep on asking, keep on asking, and it'll be given to you. Keep on searching, keep on searching, it'll be given to you. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened. Yes, that does include sometimes the door being opened means the door will be opened in the next stage. Some healing that we pray for, there are people I've prayed for for healing, you know, multiple times a day for a long period of time, and then they died. And you know what? Was my prayer, did the kingdom not come? No, that person is dancing with Jesus in heaven right now. The kingdom did come. It just came in the next stage. But then there have been times where I pray for healing for people and boom, it happened right away. That was the rain cloud downpouring. Then there are times where I've been praying for healing for people and they didn't get healed until three years after I first started praying for them, but I prayed for them every single time I saw them. What was that? That was the kingdom, that was the mustard seed, that was the kingdom being delayed. Now, you might ask, well, why didn't Jesus just tell us that? Why didn't he say, look, guys, sometimes when you pray, you're going to see results immediately. Sometimes when you pray, you're going to see results that are delayed, like a mustard seed. And then sometimes when you pray, you're not going to see things happen until the end of the age. Like, why didn't he in Matthew 7 give all of those complexities and nuances and disclaimers and caveats? Like, maybe some of you aren't wired like me, but I would love it if Jesus gave more caveats in the scriptures, like, that'd be great. I'd be pumped about that, right? So why didn't he do that? And I suppose I can only theorize, but, you know, I think about any complex skill that we learn. You know, I, one that came to my mind was snowboarding. Like, I learned to snowboard. When you're learning to snowboard, one of the most important things that you have to get right from the very beginning is you have to lean forward on one foot not lean back. And the reason for that is that all of your control and balance is actually controlled by your front foot. And so people tend to lean back because they're a little fearful of falling, but leaning back actually makes it more likely for you to fall. And so you actually have to teach people from the get-go, no, do not lean back, lean forward. And then you correct them over and over and over and over and over again until they're, this is the new comfortable position, right? So when you're teaching someone that in the very beginning, is it really helpful to be like, but there are gonna be some scenarios where it actually is good to lean back. Like if you're hitting a jump, it would be good to lean back, because that's true. If you hit a jump leaning forward, you're gonna tumble over. Or if you're starting to slip, sometimes it can be helpful to lean back. Do you go into all of that complexity and nuance when you're trying to teach the basic skill? No. 
That's not how we learn. If we overload people with details and complexities on the front end, they will never learn the crucial skills they need to do the thing we're training them to do. I think Jesus had the same mentality. I think what he wanted his disciples to know in Matthew 7, 8 and 9 was, ask, can keep asking, and it'll be given to you. Knock and keep knocking, and the door will be opened. He wanted to teach them persistence. He wanted to teach them to don't give up praying just because you don't see an answer happen right away. Now, other teachings we have from him help fill in these gaps of, well, what about people that did persist in prayer and, and did they didn't see what they were praying for happen? Well, that's not because it wasn't God's will. It's not because it was God's will that the prayer they were praying wouldn't be, wouldn't happen. If they were praying for someone to be healed, it's not that God's will was the person wouldn't be healed. It's because the kingdom has not fully come yet. And again, it hasn't fully come yet, but it's also fully come. It's a paradox. We have to, under, we can't, we have to understand it as a paradox. All four of the, this is not like 25%. It's not like the kingdom is 25% has come, 25% coming imminently, 25% delayed, and 25% will come. These are all 100% true all the time. And we, so... We could go further into that, but I feel like I'm kind of becoming a mad scientist at this point. <clears throat> so it's the reality of the kingdom on the earth that drives us to persist in prayer. And by the way, prayer is not just a spiritual discipline. It is us actively co-laboring with God for his work on the earth. Like I said before, there are some things that God wants to do on the earth that will not happen unless his people pray. That's what we get from, from the scriptures. So I'd like to invite you to stand. I think for some of you, Right now, there have been painful experiences. And can I get the, someone to come back up and play keys or something? Um, I think for some of you, there have been painful experiences around prayer where it could have been a sick relative, it could have been really a tragic, horrible situation. Um, but I think there, for some of you, there have been these experiences where you kind of lost faith in prayer because you prayed and you prayed and you persisted and you kept knocking like Jesus said, but then the thing you were praying for didn't happen. And what I feel like God wants to do this morning and tell you is that my heart is broken right along with yours. Like, the thing you wanted to see happen, I want to see that happen too, and, and I'm hurting with you. God, I think God wants you to know he feels your pain, he understands your pain, and he wants you to know that he's good. He is not inflicting evil upon you to teach you some greater lesson. He's a good father who gives you bread when you ask for bread and gives you bread when you ask for a snake. He's not a God that gives you a snake and tells you, I'm using this snake to teach you a lesson. 
So I just ask in Jesus' name for anyone, and if that's you, just put a hand on your heart, put your hands out. If that's too scary for you, just tell God in your mind right now, I'm receiving this right now. Like I just, I bless you with the healing and the comfort of the Holy Spirit right now. And I also, I pray, I pray, Lord, that bad mindsets about who you are, or I should say wrong mindsets, lies from the enemy about who you are, and lies from the enemy about your worth and, and your, your value. I, I feel like God is right now just like stripping away lies the enemy has gotten you to believe because of disappointment and pain around prayer. So be free in Jesus' name. And then for some of you, I think that you are in a moment right now of persisting in prayer. You've been praying for something. You've been praying for the kingdom to break through for a while, and you're starting to get weary of praying. And I feel like God is strengthening you right now. So I bless you, and, and if that's you, just do something to receive it. I bless you in Jesus' name to be strengthened, to be reinvigorated. Thank you, Lord, that our prayers are powerful and effective on the earth. Thank you, Lord, that your kingdom is hovering over that situation like a pregnant rain cloud, ready to downpour at any moment. And I even think for some of you right now, that rain, that downpour is coming. So in Jesus' name, Lord, let that downpour of your kingdom come, intervene, break through, on behalf of whatever these issues are. Restore our faith in who you are and in, in your goodness, Lord. In Jesus' name.